So I guess when it comes to work history, I started at a young age. That's how I was raised. I, I, it was available to me to do. Um, I had a couple run-ins with the law, yeah, as a young boy. And anything serious? No, nothing violent. But uh, come my senior, or excuse me, junior year, there was a mishap. <laughs> Terry Artley. Um, and it, uh, it caused me to make a decision, a very harsh one, that was against everything. Yeah, it just isn't, it didn't feel right. But somebody had done something very bad, and not only was I involved with it and knew about it, um, scared the hell out of me. And there's some good old boys that uh, used to, you know, they know the story. Uh, I was down in Reno, I was, uh, did a lie detector's test, and it proved to be correct that, you know, I was not a criminal, but the person that did. Caused the issues. Luckily, went to prison for it. So I realized then that you know people just can't do. You can't break those kind of rules. And so as life went on, again, I was pretty young then. Um, I'm 16 years old, matter of fact. So I ended up leaving the state of Nevada um, my junior year and going, you know, after my junior year in Wooster that, you know, ended up in fights, <laughs> you know, Mr. Nice Guy, and it's always some swamper's kid being a little dickhead, and anyway, my point, I'm sorry, that was not nice, but my, I go to my senior year, best year of high school, it, well, I had a lot of great ones, but most of all, El Cajon was a lot of fun, a lot of good, good people, uh, became a Charger fan, and got uh, real, more real estate under my belt as far as, you know, just property management and cleaning and painting and dealing with, you know, everything that's involved and going, you know, working with Mexico and importing fish, uh, building the boats to do that. Very, very, you know, it was just a, a great learning experience. And I came back to Elko, though, after that, to marry my high school sweetheart, Lori Keisker. And I'm glad I did because we had two of the most wonderful children. And I wanted children. And we and I we had them. We got them young. We had them young, and it was a wonderful thing. I, working at the Newmonts was where I had gone um, after construction jobs uh, out there at Sunrise Shop and Center Building, Albertsons, and becoming a roofer and going to Fremont, California, and then down to Ridgecrest and learning how to tile roof and out of high school. But I ended up back in Elko because that's where my mom was, and she. Uh, that's, yeah, you're talking 82. I, I get a job at Newmont in 83. And that was you know, her husband, Merrill, had a, you know, he was an MSHA inspector, I think. He had some stroke. Hey, cool, I got a job. Um, and I, very appreciative. And the last eight years, um, very good to me. I was salaried, exempt. And I was, uh, Tom Enos was a great mentor, great friend. He. You know, smart man, you know, when it came to figuring stuff out, it was like, well, it, yeah, common sense of everything. Um, another powerful thing that I had, that's why we were so tied together. We, you know, we were united like no other um, because we both thought that way. I mean, everything, every position, everything he put me into, I succeeded, I excelled at it. I'm not saying that people uh, didn't, weren't so appreciative um, because usually it was shit that they were screwing up. But yeah, I was very good at that mining in eight years. And 
um, that went on for some time. Um, I lost my mother during that time. Uh, she in a car accident, and so in '88. But then by '91, uh, I had I needed to. Jim and I, my mentor, were working on ski resorts across the country, and I had been going and visiting some um, conquistador and. Uh, there's, it, it was already, anyway, my point being is we were putting these together um, and we were residing at, at, at Bryant Head and that was the one we were trying to topple first from the banks, but I needed some experience. I had mechanical experience right, because I've been planning, you know, there's nothing I couldn't plan. And so kind of like it was, you know, the entertainment industry, you know, that's part of it. So I went looking for a job to bartend. And I became a um, Wednesday night bartender at the Brandon Iron in Elko, Nevada in 1990. And great people there, Jeannie and Vivian and Dave. And <laughs> but what happened from that point forward was that I did get my experience. And I eventually managed it. And then I bought it soon thereafter because... The way I had designed the management of it, it just made sense that I should buy it because you know, I, otherwise they weren't going to make any money more than I was because I, I was you know, making a gross margin. And anyway, so I ended up buying it, not because I wanted a bar. <laughs> they paid me to buy it. That's how it worked out. And, you know, I, the check that day was bigger to me than it was to them because I had uh, been, you know, been working there in some time. and. Everything had gotten met as far as the uh, my gaming license and all the other licenses and all the credits that I'd needed for accounts. And that Friday, it was my business. Um, that was the first indication that Dennis Parker was going to have a problem with me from from that point forward. And because he he didn't want to sell that day, he says, "Well, forget it. We're not going to sell." And Caesar Silicki was there. Caesar, you know, one of the good bo good boys gone, but Caesar Silicki was there, and I asked him to be there because. That's what you do. It's a gentleman's thing, okay? And Caesar, you know, I'm like, hey. It was over some glasses, some glassware. They said that I had opened too many cases of glassware and that I needed to pay more for them. And I'm like, screw you. I mean, that's not what the, the deal was. The deal was unopened glassware is what you get paid for. So it's kind of funny when you think about it because I had to open that glassware because it, the business was much busier than it was before. But most of all, you're only talking about like 30 bucks. <laughs> Caesar looks at me, he's like there. And, I, mean, I don't know where my mind was, but he's like, hey, it's like, it's like really, it's that much money? I'm like, well, <laughs> screw him telling me, you know, forget about selling the business. Yeah, and the Lord got a hold of me, shook me up upside down. I, it was already mine anyway. He couldn't have stopped it. That was the funny part about it. And lo and behold, everything worked out, but it, Parker would show up down the road at my lynching. Um, for what reasons? I, I, he has to answer to that, like as do a lot of people. Because as I operated the business, and I did a very good job. I also expanded that business. I, um, I worked there seven days a week. Um, was it my choice? I, I just told you, it was, it was an accident, okay? Just, it happened, and it turned out that, you know, I ended up leaving Newmont, they asked me to leave hindering the company in its course of business, spreading rumor with malicious intent. Anyway, that was Newmont Gold, but it went back to me being upset that, you know, if you're gonna do things, do them right. And if they didn't do them right, that had been my whole job there. Every phase of my Newmont career was to refine things and make them better, 
Gail Dobson's. I learned from some great people that came there and would we would you know troubleshoot you know whatever it was whether it flows on the carbon you know or screens in the second crushers or whatever it was that we they could stick a metallurgical mind and an engineer's mind and a rock hound's mind if necessary um, together to create the efficiency of whatever I mean that's that's mining but my point goes forward to say that so I move into the entertainment business and well I don't know if you've ever been a bartender but it's kind of fun it's, you know you can say just about anything you want so if you've got a sense of humor it sort of flowers it for you and I, some of my best jokes, you know, were this. Betty Ford Clinic. They want $10,000. I say, you got $10,000, you don't have a problem. Now that's a funny joke because back then I wasn't a smoker, I wasn't a drinker. Um, I mean, it just, I was a young man, I was 29 years old and I uh, had two babies, two beautiful baby, girl, girl and a boy. And I was going to this the resort business, but Brian had never fell, and um, I went. I stayed in the bar business. Jim ended up coming to Elko for a while. And things went on, and I didn't expanded the business. Uh, ben Lesbo liked me a lot, and he, you know, he was very, very. We did business together. He's the one that gave me a ninety-year lease, and so, lo and behold, you know, Ben and Connie. Through my expansion, putting a block walls, putting in you know split level, and having being able to, and I put a sewer system in, you know, by my with people, but we did it by hand. Um, having to go through three general contractors because they just couldn't seem to keep their. <laughs> it's like do what you say and say what you do. You know, <laughs> a guy like me, I don't have an extra grand to be built out of, but so. Yeah, there was some conflict, and I you know, with the power company right next door, serious conflict. I had to go through that, and I, of course I won because they were wrong again for their for this for their um, bastards. You know, they, I mean, they just attacked and attacked, and you know, didn't want to hook my power back up, and it was all because of them. But I remember the, the bastards. I remember them just standing with their full arms crossed, like six of them in there, and I walked in with the fire marshal because they had just pushed me the limit and the fire marshal said, you're gonna hook it back up. You know, it wasn't gratifying at that point. It wasn't gratifying at all. It was like, why did you guys make me do this? Why did you, what is it you, why would you wanna push me so far? But that's the kind of opposition that I was up against. And so as things, time went on, became the, my, the bar, and I let everyone that knew me down the day that they arrested me at, at my home. Not because I was so guilty, but because, you know, they, that's what it was implying. And I could see already when, you know, you're, what are you finding? There's nothing here. You, you know, the warrant. If really? I haven't even been in town for like eight days, nine days. Just getting back and it's like large quantities of marijuana. Really? From where? Okay. You know why I, plead, I pled guilty on the charges? Because it was my home. And if I had marijuana in there, I'm gonna, that's my marijuana. It, it was the illegal. It was schedule one, okay. You know, should it have been? No, nope. but it was. So I pled guilty, having no idea what the repercussions of that would be. But they used that and there was ulterior motives to what they took. They took 16 videos, they took 
all my gold, all my silver, all my uh, box of things that very dear to me. They took, um, oh, there were some paraphernalia things, never to be returned, never to be found again, to this date. The only thing they charged me with was it was zigzags in the, in the 100, 100 pipe that I told them where it was. There was a, a, a Ziploc thing, I, you know, I never saw it or anything, but it was it had white residue in it. That's one other thing I remember. And tutors, they call them. So, okay, I'm not going to, there we are, but quantities, no. A reason to break down my door, I mean, to lay my wood casing in the middle of my Berber carpet, a house that I built, I, I was the one that, that you know, Lori and I, we built that home, and we raised, we were raising our kids in there. And they were on to break my door down with a no-knock warrant. <clears throat> and that was the first arrest of, it was in 96. So, yeah, you kind of go through a transition when you go, wow, what are good people thinking here? You know, and you're, you've been beat up for years, and, you know, Heart's not in it. People, you know, there's some sweetheart people. My God, cricket. I mean, just, I mean, you know who you are, people. And thank you. But there was a time where, you know, you say, well, should you do this with a partner or do it alone? I say get a partner. You know, it's, they, it sucks the blood out of you when they're pulling on you. You know, the Lesbo family, you know, Ben and Con, Constance, you know, dying the crash, plane crash. And that leaves me wide open to, um, a kind of a strange situation because they gave me the, the last bit of the money that, that Ben was going to give me because he was coming to see me that day when they crashed. But then they turned right around and said, we want to renegotiate because they didn't. They just realized that that money that, they, that Ben had given me was not payable. I didn't have to pay them. Because they, and the reason being, you know, Ben, it was between Ben and I. Um, so the repayment, it was like, well... Why do you want me to repay that? That was a gift from Ben. He didn't know he was going to die, but pretty much an unsecured loan like that between two gentlemen pretty much washes. I mean, there was no pay repayment agreement. Anyway, so they that's when they turned to heat up. They had a lot of money. And, of course, I was already at odds with every attorney in town. And um, for whatever reasons, that it turned into, uh, well, it just didn't stop. It kept going. When I started getting sentenced on that first arrest... It was with Michael Mameo that had just taken the bench. Okay. Sorry. And unbeknownst to me, I'm just pleading guilty. I mean, I didn't realize that uh, the minimum sentence was going to be three years. And that's what he wanted me to do. Now, that's a first-time offense. You know, I'm not a criminal. I'm not a troublemaker. I can be a little you know, mischievous, but not nothing to hurt anybody ever. Um, so I get three years. I get 16 days in jail. I don't know where the 16 came from. And a fine. And boom, hammered. And first-time offenders in the state of Nevada under a 453.3363 statute says clearly that if you, you know, you get busted with possession of drugs, you know, and you complete probation, that you, it's exonerated. That's the, that's the word, exonerated, gonged. Well, so, why would I not get that? I mean, there's only been one person in the state of Nevada that, that 
didn't get, get that, and he was a real screw-up. Well, after that sentencing that day, which is a Thursday, I'd come back, again, not knowing a mail from anybody, but that's the man who's doing taking my case. And he hammers me a felon. It doesn't, says, well, you're not an addict, so you don't need the treatment, you don't need the, you know, the statute, because the statute's there to help, you know, to find you help if you need it, and, you know, get through a program. But since you're not, how can I allow you that? So he makes me a felon. Okay. You know, not only is my doors closed now, and but he hammers me a felon. I got, you know, I got okay, we're guns, weapons. And I'm already sold my house. I'm already in, still in a storage unit. You know, things get moved around. You start going. You know, life they're tearing it apart pretty good. Um, jet skis get stolen. You know, hoping those show up someday. They did, but the time that they took. To assault me over and over again was kind of amazing because it happened at, through the courts, directly con con connected to parole and probation, and continued with Gary Woodbury. I won my appeal with the Supreme Court because we filed after that first sentencing, and the Supreme Court said, "Hey, you know, to not allow Mr. Hunt the four five three point three three six three based on the fact that he's not an addict." would state that anybody should continue to use drugs until the time is such that they can be declared worthy of the program. Matter of fact, it would be kind of, it'd be um, very prejudiced if you do not allow him that. Although you have the right, as it said, you know, but he can withdraw his plea and turn, you know, start all over again is what they said. And they said, matter of fact, it would be ridiculously prejudiced if you didn't. So I, you know, I listened to two attorneys I had no idea were in on it. It was you know, like, they did pretty good on some things, like my dog when he was, you know, the capital case, but come to find out, it sold me out. But that's okay, here's what happened. Damn it, if the, uh, with resentencing, not only did he hammer me again, that extended the whole period from the time that he we got back into court there. That extended my probation that much more, that much longer. There was nine more months added to my probation that I had to go into every month. Now this is, I ended up getting being on three probations, of which all I I graduated from, you know, as a um, discharge, honorable discharge. So. That's what my mail does to me, leaves me a felon. Now, I've already, they've already cost me jobs. I'm trying to work. I'm a felon, kind of bothersome. And uh, yeah, I, I can't believe it, I'm like, wow. So I, anyway, before my probation's up, I end up getting my real estate license and taking the test. I start selling real estate on probation because I'd done the schooling earlier, but you know, you're trying to you know, take your lickings and you know, dust yourself off, get up and go sell real estate. It was great. I mean, I was destined to do that anyway, but what happened with that would even make you even sicker because when it came to a very much of a criminal in the mortgage business that just fended me off, I couldn't believe the kind of loans they were doing. I tried to get as far away from it as possible and tried to liquidate and get away from this guy. And all I did was cost me everything I'd worked for, 26 properties. And it went in front of a mayo. It was the largest civil case in Elko, you know, Elko County. It was huge. And because of the, 
what I had done uh, in my real estate career by buying properties, rehabbing properties. You know, you learn about everything about uh, trailers and homes and, you know, just I, I was doing what you do in real estate and my the gentleman got greedy. And I agreed, he went after the home I was living in. It was my home. It was always going to be my home. I, I, I get a restaurant started up over in Carlin because we buy it, you know, it's a great pri price. We get it rolling. He sells it to a guy that to uh, was a destined to fail. He did. And um, anyway, we got in some litigation and it ended up, okay, we're going to open a whole can of worms. All 26 properties. I tell Travis that Mameo is not a kind man to me and I never knew why. He didn't believe me. Well, it showed when he said, wow, something's really wrong. He does not like you. You're right. He does not like you. Well, you, how do you fix that in the middle of this? Now, I, I'm going to bust it back. It's costing me my home. I don't have a job. You know, the most wonderful thing you give a man is a job, but you couldn't, I couldn't get a job. Okay, remember what had gone on prior to this with the sheriff um, and the the raid and the, I mean this big guy <laughs> gets busted for drugs and it's like wow the newspapers you know Reno News why would you go to Reno News with a guy like that club owner I mean I ha yes I was a very good business owner very I yeah well, they just desecrated took my business took my everything from me and then I'm gonna try and end it here just for a while pick up the pieces on this just to say that you know, they kept taking my jobs away. I didn't have a place to live. I was, you know, living in, and then, you know, they take mother. But when my garage burned down, to have a man, sheriff, stand out there and tell 13 firemen that went home to their wives that night. But he, what he said to those firemen that day was kind of a horrific thing that we do to somebody because I lost some, some things in that fire that were kind of dear to me. But most of all was the fact that they went home and told his wives, oh, there's some meth lab. That's what the sheriff said, that the occupant, which was me, because I was there at the fire, that he was known to be associated with meth labs. Now, I've never, <laughs> never, ever, you, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I went out and confronted him. He then blamed it on the fire marshal. Couldn't see the fire marshal, couldn't see anybody. Couldn't see the fire chief either, because he said that was the next one. I couldn't believe that and laughed in my face because I just got through burning my blazer to the ground and it was on the outside of the shop and it burned my son's Chevy Malibu that it was his, it was paid for, it was his. All black interior, all done. They, it was on the outside of this building that they pulled the hose off because he said it could have been a meth lab. And so one hose just, you know, anyway, so it burns those things. I lost my dad's 72 Triumph Trident in there. I mean, among all the other things, most important was that that man took a shot at me like that. And it's lived with me. Don't think you don't think those wives don't remember that that fire, that that's that a meth lab going. But it's in a state report. It's in the report that they said that. How does that never get looked at when I, I try and stop my hand? You know, I don't, not too loud. I mean, I'm getting a little louder now that we have a good sheriff. But that's the kind of injustice that's gone on. That's kind of stuff that, that, I've been fortunate, as fortunate as they come. God bless our president, God bless his uh, administration, his family, and the things that he has uh, given us are truly from divine intervention. I'm telling you, he has rocked this 
hard and fast. It's he loves his country, and we're gonna win. Um, please, please know we're gonna win. Thank you. Amen.